Hello, and welcome to episode 131 of Relics of Ore. I am your host for this episode. I am Justin, a.k.a. Grybok. Joining me, as usual, is Kate. How's it going? Good. Hello, everyone. How are you doing this uh, this week? Uh, this week? Not so good. <laughs> uh, th- today, accidental nap. Woke up, you know, a few minutes before the show. I'm feeling good. Okay, well, you know, accidental nap. At least it didn't end in tragedy, so, you know. Exactly. That's, that's great. Uh, and joining us for the first time ever on Relics of Ore is a friend of mine, also a Twitterer, and also the leader, or one of the co-leaders of Twit Guild. We have Optimus Maleficus, or Opt. How's it going today, Opt? Hey, I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Listen, uh, listening to the podcast for a long time, and uh, and now I'm here. It's great. That's right. Opt was with me during all of the PAX shenanigans, so had we planned a little bit better, we might have had a duo to talk about all of the things we saw at PAX instead of uh, me just doing a soliloquy. But, you know, planning's not really our strong suit, so... (laughs) But uh, anyway, I guess we'll just move straight on into the rotating cog. No PAX Tuesdays. Give me something to kill already. You know what they say, a patchless Tuesday amasses nothing to talk about. So there's not a whole lot of news to talk about per se. Um, is there anything either of you guys really has on your mind since last episode and or last patch? Not newsworthy things. <laughs> well, I know that Opt um, shared, shared some of the sentiment that we did that... Um, some of the changes for the new player experience seem to be frustrating to veteran players, and he was generally on the same page as us. He uh, wrote a small blog post about it as well. Um, but I was so mad. I was, yeah, I I think everybody was pretty mad. Um, well, not everybody, but uh, it looks like some of our veteran feedback has been taken into account, and these things are already patched now, aren't they? Right. Yep. Within, I was actually really impressed with the very quick turnaround time when they they were using the sort of language they do, and you know, yeah, we know it's an issue, and we don't really have a timeline for this. They're using that sort of language, but then actually, uh, this whole change, at least that I've linked in the show notes, came within within a week. I think it was at the the Monday after the patch. I was really impressed with that uh, because historically things have lingered when they're not so great yeah yeah and i i know a couple of couple of devs um had uh, had tweeted quick at, at around the same on the same day i think on the on the friday after that patch that they they had worked like really late and then slept 12 slept for 12 hours probably not a coincidence <laughs> probably not which by the way uh i don't know who that was but we appreciate it yes absolutely yeah, so just to sort of summarize, I'm not really going to go into detail on all of the changes, but I believe we even sort of talked about recommending a course of action similar to this. It looks as though um, a lot of these the levels at which you acquire the unlocking skills have been condensed, so they still unlock in the same manner, but you now get uh, utility skills 2 and 3 at 17 and 19 instead of like 24 and higher um elite slot is back to 31 instead of 40 which is what they had pushed it to um and most interestingly well maybe not most interestingly but it surprised me the most was that they gave different unlock levels for the f skills for the classes so some of them get their f4s at earlier levels than others that have f4 skills if that makes sense so elementalist mesmer and uh Oh, Elementalist F4 gets them at level 17, Mesmer's and Guardian's F3s are at 17, and Mesmer F4 and Engineer F4 are at 19. Um, I thought that was really noteworthy because usually they try and keep the same type of thing at the same levels for every class, and I actually really liked that they customized that to seem to be more fitting to each class that you know had different numbers of class-specific skills. Right. I'm on board with what they did. I think uh, the changes absolutely make sense as well for Mesmer and Engineer, especially. Yep. Those are just... Mesmer and Engineer can be the more convoluted of any profession, depending on how many skills you have available to you, so I, 
definitely see the benefit in, especially for your first character, delaying that a little bit. And just, I can't imagine playing an engineer for those first few levels with this new scheme where you, you just have, like, your, your rifle auto attack and your net shot. Or they probably, they probably start you with a pistol, but even, but even then it's, like, that, that, that you just have so little on that profession because you can't weapon swap. Right. Yeah, so I'm going to just throw it uh, to our guests th- today to just sort of give some feedback on this. How do you feel about this, both the fact that they changed it so quickly, but also in terms of uh, sort of a compromise? Like, how, how does this make you feel about the new player experience now, Opt? Yeah, so um, so, I, so I don't know if... Uh, so a lot of you probably haven't seen my blog post, but uh, the way that I started it off was... Uh, the, one of the first things I said was, it seems like how existing players feel about the new player experience doesn't matter. Like, it really... Like, the, the response that we were getting from the developers really felt like they were just... They are just being very defensive about, like, oh, we did it because of this and this for the... Uh, focus testing, all that, all that stuff, but it, it didn't really address how it affected us. It was really difficult to to kind of reconcile what they were saying with all the frustration that the community was having. But they spoke their actions and how fast they fixed this. Like speaks louder than words. Like I, so, I feel like I feel like the changes that they made were were good and ma- made a lot of sense. It's a uh, it's it's too bad that it wasn't this way in the first place. Like because it just seemed it, it just seems so obvious. Yeah. That was that was one thing I, I pulled out of it, too. I think I said to Justin after the show last week, it's great that they're fixing it, but I'm so sad that it even had to be an issue. It seemed like it got pushed until after there was a shitstorm, if you will, to address it. Yeah, it was, so we had the, the, the triple whammy of, you know, no precursor crafting, not a lot of new stuff for veteran players until November for Living World. And uh, and then this new player experience stuff. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. It I think that while I don't, I still don't really love the idea of having it level locked. I think that the levels that they've compromised it to, and combining that with the increased leveling speed, have made it a lot more tolerable. So it's more. It's not so much that I love it, but I don't hate it so much that I won't ever play an alt anymore, which is sort of how it was before. Yeah. And you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think we mentioned this, but I did want to point out also that um, one of the problems was that things weren't unlocking or unlocking on an account-bound basis that we're supposed to, like skill points. The first time you ever play a character, uh, you won't be able to access skill challenges until level 13, but on, on your alts, you'll be able to do that. And it's the same for vistas and bundle items, as far as I know. And I, so that's, that's really And I nice. believe some of the menu items yeah. that were hidden as well until certain levels, like uh, World v. World's hidden, right, when you're a brand new account. Yep. And PvP, I want to say. Yeah. And I think even the trading post, too. Although I could be wrong on that. Anyway, yeah, I think it's. I think that was a great, um, a great patch. So I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things that's a little bit hard to talk about in the sense that, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's sort of fixing their mistakes, and I think most of us would agree. But it, so it's not like it's not that exciting because it's not really like new stuff, but it is um, very relieving to have these things get fixed and get fixed very quickly. Yeah, that's another thing I, I wanted to say. Like, clearly, they can move fast when they think it's really important. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at the very least, I'm glad that they listened. Um, you know, like like Kate said, it's it's sort of a shame that it had to come out that way. But again, it's I would much rather them come out and own their mistake and fix it quickly than plug their ears and sort of just say, you know, nah, nah, working as intended. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they, you know, even though I was frustrated with the initial responses that we got, they fi- they fixed it, and that's really that's really what counts. And you know, I'm not gonna, not going to hold it against them that they that the, that for whatever happened yeah. here. And yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. I can't remember if I actually brought it up on a previous show, but I feel like I did. That I have a friend that that just started, and you know, he was sort of scratching his head at some of these changes. And I talked to him just today at lunch, and he is in the mid 60s now leveling wise and now he's really frustrated by the trait system because he feels like he doesn't have enough traits and it's he's like broke and so the thought of buying those traits is not 
something that excites him. It's something that sort of is making him dread having to like grind for it. But also the fact that they're so disparate in terms of how you attain them is also not, it's not like, Oh boy, Mm. I'm going to go find out what this thing is all about. It's like, I don't even know where that is or how to do that. Or that's far away. Like, I I really I really hope that they take a look at the trade system and make some adjustments similar to how they've made adjustments to this system. Yeah, because you used to be able to get equipped Grandmaster trades mm-hmm. at level sixty when you bought that bought that two gold trade book. And I rem- I remember buying my first two gold trade book and thinking that was like more money than there was in the universe. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Scraping together the gold back in the day. Ex- exactly. But uh, but now you can't equi- even equip Grandmaster traits until level eighty. Yeah, and and having to buy every trait is really expensive, both in terms of skill points and in terms of gold. It feels like they were or the unlock. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. It feels like they were balanced Just... around what veteran players' resources were, and I feel like that's a really bad way to balance something like character building because A, new players do not have those resources, and B, experienced players probably already have it, or they have so much more that it's kind of pointless and doesn't really serve as an effective sink of gold and skill points. And... Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's kind of like, like uh, you can yes, you can buy Ascended Rings from yeah. the Laurel Vendor, but they cost 50 Laurels and 50 Ecto, and I think that's kind of Arena Nets' way of saying, don't get them this way. Go play some Fractals. Go play some World vs. World. Yeah. Yeah, it um yeah, it's it's interesting. It's I th- I think it's definitely an area that could use some some additional polish and focus because yeah, I mean similarly, I think it's really weird that the new skills have cost 25 skill points. Like I get that there's a huge surplus of skill points from uh champ farming and K training, but adding one skill that costs 25 skill points which is almost as much as an elite costs just seems really weird and as a new like new players do not understand that and definitely don't have 25 like skill points to spare mm-hmm. that's probably intentional though like a lot of those skills are more, are more advanced so you wouldn't want necessarily want a new player to dive into one of those <sighs> i mean i guess but at the same time i feel like a new player may not realize that they're more advanced and might just get frustrated by the fact that they by the fact that it's so expensive. And then if they buy it, they might get frustrated that it's honestly not that good. I mean, a lot of the new healing skills are just never used. I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's sort of a weird place. I don't I don't know how they should effectively sink gold or skill points from the game, but doing it on things like your basic character building stuff seems misguided to me. But yeah, I kind of I kind of see what they were trying to do, but uh but yeah, well, I'm yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But I had a segue, and then I forgot it, so I'm not going to do one. Um, has Oh, worst. no, it's not your fault. I had one, like, five minutes ago, and then I kept talking, and so it's really probably my own fault. Uh, has Have either of you guys done the uh, World v. World tournament this season, and or were you doing previous seasons World v. Worlds? Uh, yeah, I've been keeping up. Um, with it, with this tournament, that's actually been most of my Guild Wars two play the last couple weeks is uh, going in and getting those five events and then kind of getting sucked in for a couple hours. How about you, Spirit? The same thing, exactly. I I've talked about this in the past. I will say it again because it happens to me every tournament. I love World v World tournaments because it's a finite period of time and it's not just this. Hey, I took a tower. Oh, they took the tower back. Hey, I took a tower. Oh, they took the tower back. Because that's what World v World is to me outside of a tournament. Uh, so I get really excited, and if I see you on a flame ram without flame ram mastery, I will go. So help me, if you were on that flame ram without flame ram mastery, I will find you. I will shame you. Yes, I get very competitive during tournaments. Uh, I have been playing this one, but not as much. It did not hook me with the. If you're not familiar, all you have to do is complete five events. It takes a five to twenty minutes. Uh, to yeah, per week. So. I logged on and I did them, and I've kind of continued because I do like the World v. World tournaments, but it didn't hold me like past ones where I was like, oh gosh, I really need to get into this tower. I don't know why I have such a problem with Tower of the World v. World. Stone Mist. I really need to get into Stone Mist three times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll just say a brief. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I've, I've basically just been logging in to get the achievements and then just be a filthy leech that just 
trades on the fact that Yak's Bend is beating the tar out of uh, Northern Shiver Peaks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I I played the first couple a lot, and a big part of why I'm not playing this one very much is because I've been playing Destiny a lot. So I mean, I'm kind of you know being a traitor, but I do think it's kind of interesting. I I liked the philosophy behind the uh, having it go weekly and having smaller bite-sized weekly meta achievements to show that you're participating so that it would sort of encourage more regular play instead of giant binge sessions. But I do feel like it's a little bit too easy to get the five events and just log out. Um, But when we were talking before the show, I know that that impression of whether or not that's a good thing may sort of be influenced by what tier of server you're on. So, Opt, you are the only member of this cast that is in a tier one gold server. So why don't you talk about your experience with the World v. World season? Okay. So, in general, like, something that I see in Map Chat and Team Chat a lot more on, on Jade Quarry than I do, than apparently other people do on, on uh, lower population servers is, you know, there's definitely a lot of resentment for tech casuals uh, during the tournament because they're taking up space in the map, they're taking up space in the queues that the, dedica- that the regular dedicated world versus world players would normally be using. So the advan- the kind of the, like, getting your participation for this tournament is really easy. But the advantage to that, if you're in if you're in tier one, you know, if you're a if you're a Jade Quarry or a Blackgate, um, is that the uh, the people who just want to get their achievements and get out can get in and out really quickly, and they can do it in any map, and it doesn't really then they're not really taking a whole lot away from those dedicated players, and so the and so the people who are on, in World vs. World all the time, regardless of whether it's a tournament or not. Uh, they can keep playing like they normally do. Yeah, which I think is really interesting because in contrast, I feel that on the tier two and three, there's three tiers still, right? I'm not crazy. Okay. Yes. So yeah, I on tier so. two and three, I feel like there's a much more sort of a spirit of, um, you know, we finally feel like we have big amounts of numbers. And even during, I don't think I've ever had to queue in World v. World basically at all in my tier two server, even during the tournament. And so... Um, like we, we basically just don't hit map cap ever and we're, we're in the top tier of tier two. And so for us, I see it almost sort of more as a a quasi recruitment tool, you know, where it gets people in and it gets them doing the things that are in worldly world and it sort of shows them how much fun it can be. And then also motivates them by giving them rewards. But, uh, as long as you're not hitting map population cap, more people is never really a bad thing. It doesn't really detract from your team's strategy. It either makes your attack stronger or lets you pincer attack. But I can definitely see where you're coming from, Opt, in, in Tier 1, that like if you're, if you're doing this all the time and your servers are dedicated and organized, this just means a, ca- a giant influx of people that are actively making it worse for you. And that's one of those challenges that ArenaNet has because their philosophy is generally that you never want to be displeased to see more players and the existence of the world cap or the the world v world caps and the existence of these tier one servers that have such greater dedicated world v one world v world populations puts them in a really tricky spot for getting people into world v world in the non-tier one servers yeah i think that's that's probably one of the driving factors for why edge yeah, exists. Yeah, it definitely it def- I definitely see it having more of a purpose aside from karma training for tier 1 servers where queuing is, you know, a thing. Yeah, just to, just to give you a vague idea, but the like it's not like all of Jade Quarry's maps are like queued up all the time, but generally like there will be there will be a big a big group um, that are all on on the TeamSpeak server together. And, you know, if, if uh, like, let's say one of the keeps in uh, one of the Borderlands maps is uh, in need of defense, like, they will all go to that map and, and cause it to queue up. So there will generally be one map that has a queue, and the other ones will have, like, either a short queue or no queue. And then, on obviously, on reset night, there's uh, there's a queue because there's a lot more people. Another, another thing to think about is that, like, is the China population on the China servers. Like, probably most of those servers have queues, like, all the time. Yeah, I don't really know the status of the number of servers and the population densities on each server in China, but that's probably not a bad... <laughs> it's probably not a bad guess. 
Yeah, I remember seeing a screenshot near the China launch of uh, where you, because the, the, unlike our launch, for their launch, they actually had the visible number of people in the queue at the time, and you could see your position. So, like, I saw a screenshot of the, of somebody queued up for World vs. World in China, and they had multi hundreds of people queued up for mm. every map, which I, I don't think uh, I don't think we've seen like even. Even yeah, I think I think that was somewhat true back when the game was first launching, but by the time the tournament started coming out, the populations lessened a bit, at least in that area. Do you have any Probably. additional thoughts on the on the World v. World meta achievement spirit? Afterwards, I I have a thought on maybe some proposed modifications, but do you have any do you have any thoughts? Um just in general, I want to, I guess this goes to people who maybe have not done much World v. World before and wanted to get into it, or new players. Five events is not at all a good snapshot of what actually goes on in World v. World, and I highly encourage you to actually go in and spend some time. You know, even if you're on a tier one server, even if you're on, you know, at the end of the servers, I don't know who's on bottom anymore, I forgot. But, uh, I, yeah, I really encourage you to go in and spend a couple hours in there at a time or over the, the course of a week because the things that are really enjoyable in World v. World are kind of, I don't want to say few and far between, but you won't get a sense of what the overall picture is like if you just hop in and you start following a Zerg and you take two camps and a tower, right? Uh, a lot of what makes World Do World interesting to me is spending some time in there, you know, learning the strategies, where and why you build different kinds of siege, different roles you can fill. Like, there's uh, roamers, scouts, commanders, uh, havoc teams. There's a bunch of different specialized things which you don't really see if you just run in and follow a commander around. And the. There are two things especially that I love in World v. World and I get to experience very rarely, and that's a three-way team fight and taking uh, an objective that's really heavily guarded. There's a sense of accomplishment for even participating in a three-way team fight, even if you're not maybe the victor, but especially so if you're the victor, and then taking a really heavily guarded tower that... Uh, for some reason, all I can say in World v. World is towers. It's just all there is in World v. World. But... <laughs> Yeah, I, those sorts of things uh, are, to me, the epitome of World v. World. And in five events, there's almost no way you're going to see stuff like that happen. So, I actually got my first week's participation um, while defending Stone Mist. So I, I did get that experience, but that's because I knew like exactly where to go to get it, and the commanders are doing the right thing at the right time. Right. But yes, in, in general, you're absolutely right that... You know, you can get five events just, like, capping camps by yourself, and that's not what Roller's yeah. World is. Um, so, I mean, t- t- trying to bear in mind the idea of wanting smaller, more achievable subsets of goals that you can get without a ton of playtime and encouraging them to be weekly, how would you guys feel about, in theory, perhaps, having it be complete any one of the following sets of objectives and then having them be sort of like miniature versions of what the meta event used to be comprised of so like say capture stone mist once or get two keeps or get four towers or get you know uh 10 supply camps or doliacs or something like that um well i mean like that sort of has an issue too but i feel like at least if you have it be a little bit more structured and have it be based on specific types of goals that'll at least sort of get people more in that uh mindset of of how worldly world really plays out but i guess the i guess on the other hand it can be really frustrating if you end up with you know one keep and three towers and eight dolyaks or whatever um i don't know it's i like the idea what if uh what if instead of like having to do like those specific discrete events you just had to you had to assist in scoring a certain number of points in World vs. World. Like like you know, capping something yeah, yeah. Gives, gives your team points or stomping stomping yeah. someone when you have blood blood. Yeah, that's see, yeah, and I, yeah, I think that'd be a really good yeah, a good way to do that. Or I mean, I guess this isn't really a system that's in the game, so that's unrealistic, but you know, if they had those types of 
things that I was talking about. I mean, yeah, effectively it boils down to points, but, you know, some aggregate combination of them, you know, you didn't have to necessarily get all 10 of one or all five of one, but yeah, the, the points is a more elegant way of putting that. Um, yeah, I, I just think, I feel like it should be a little bit more, um, representative of world v world and a little bit more effort, but I do like that. It's a lot more bite-sized. I think that that's a lot more compelling Mm -hmm. and you know, yeah. I really like the ticket system. I just wanted to get that out there because uh, the rewards I feel are very well balanced yeah. in terms of the tickets. I should remind my new friend to go try some too because he's going to be wanting gear and you can get, I believe you can get some ascended gear from it. So Yeah, it's 200 tickets for an ascended accessory. So if you don't want to spend or your Or if you're a brand new player and don't have any. Yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, the only alter- the only reasonable alternative is uh, guild yeah, commendations. So, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to think about that. So, oh, don't forget to go pick them up. Uh, you probably will not hear this episode in time to pick up today's. In fact, I'm almost as 100 percent certain you won't hear it in time to pick up this week's. But you do have to go pick them up within a week of the match concluding that you yes. participated in. Otherwise, you will lose them. Yeah, you have to collect your tournament rewards before the next the following match ends. But if you don't know what to spend them on, they last forever if yeah. you pick them up. Mm, I, I don't know. Anybody have any other thoughts on World v. World or the new player experience changes? Or is it you guys ready to just sort of move along? Um, how, do you, how do you guys feel about um, being able to do your five events in Edge of the Mists instead of in the, in the main maps? Like you can just you can just do your you can just get your weekly credit and mooch off of your server by just basically running around in Edge of the Mists for ten minutes and then you get really. Good I feel like that's not it. really much different than how it is already because I'll I'll cop to it. Like I'm I'm a total leech this season. I literally have just capped two Dolgat camps. That that is literally what I've done both weeks, and it took me like fifteen minutes. Um, yeah. And I mean, sure that contributes a little bit to my server, but effectively I've done nothing. Um, I I think that if it were to change to sort of a points-based system like you discussed and made you at least make more effort in Edge of the Mists to accommodate that, that would be fine. I do like the idea that you can use Edge of the Mists because, you know, it, it was sort of designed to be that, to be a way that you could earn the things that you needed to World v. World for uh, normally without taking up, you know, queue space on the busier servers, or if you just liked the more bite-sized matches. Um so I, I definitely like that you can get it via Edge of the Mist. I didn't even know about that until we were, I was reading the show notes. I didn't even think about it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, similar to the worldly world, I feel like it just probably should take a little bit more effort. But I don't, I don't think it should be, you know, something that is really hard to get because that drives people away too, or it frustrates them. That's fair. Yeah. Um, you know, Edge of the Mist still has points. So if it was a point system, the points you could you could still earn points in Edge of the Mists to uh, get your credit that way. Yep. I just wish that Edge of the Mist had more conflict, like that there was more reason to fight people and defend yeah. objectives. Yeah. That that is one thing is you you definitely don't see. Uh, yeah, it's basically just taking objectives right now. I would like to see that. It's uh, ring around the cap points. Yeah. Exactly. It's like AB, but like on yeah. a massive scale. Unless you unless you have a commander who's suddenly like, hey guys. Yeah, but there's also no Kurzix because like you commanders. know the the Zergs don't fight each other. I miss killing Kurzix. <laughs> I would just get throw that out there. Luxons forever. Me too. So Luxons speaking forever. of Kurzix and Luxons and alliances, there was some interesting discussion mentioning alliances and server size issues in World v World on the official forums. Have either of you read that enough to talk about it? <laughs> no. I skimmed it. Excellent. I also right skimmed now. it because I'm a filthy casual. Um, <laughs> Relics of Ore winning. Uh, basically, there's a big big thread about population imbalance in World v. World, and um, there's a lot of suggestions. There's a lot to read. This is on the official forums. And John Corpening... Uh, one of the game designers, made a really interesting post. You can find the post on Reddit or presumably in our show notes when this show comes out. And he said he boiled it down from reading the thread and he came to two points that he found were most sort of salient in the discussion, which is we want a thriving and vibrant world v. world community in each world. That is to say, we want people to play with and against. And we want to continue to play with our friends and the communities that we've developed already. 
Would you guys agree that those are sort of the two main points that people are interested in with regard to World v. World? Yes. Yeah. Um, Definitely. So, I guess some of the complication is that server imbalance in terms of population is something that's not really related or due to World v. World per se. Like, there are very unpopulated worlds, and that's not because they don't World v. World necessarily, they just sort of are. And similarly, there's some very populated worlds. And part of that is due to World v. World, people making a concerted effort to join the big servers. But the servers exist sort of in this weird space now, especially with mega servers, wherein they aren't really that important except for world v world and so there was a lot of discussion about you know the idea of similar to edge of the mist sort of shuffling it up so you're not necessarily playing against and with the same people all the time but then the problem is that violates point number two which is wanting to play with the friends and communities that they've already developed which sort of exist on a server-by-server basis, but on the other end, also exists on a guild basis. Um, For example, I'm not on the server for either Twit Guild or Northern Shiver Peaks, and as such, I can't play World v. World with either of your guilds, period. Yeah. Um, And I understand why that is, especially with how the game was released, but those are the types of things that are sort of floating around, and so one of the propositions was an alliance system like we had in Guild Wars 1 where you could band together and say, you know, we are the uh I'm just going to make up a name. We are say we're we're the we're the Mersot Alliance or something. Something that's not an actual server name. And, you know, they're this group of guilds or this group of players and this alliance would they could theoretically in the future sort of structure World v. World as a larger scale alliance versus alliance, and the idea would be that your alliances would stick together, but you may be shuffled in with other alliances. And so that way they could sort of both improve and keep the community aspect for World v. World together, while also being able to help balance out population sizes. So obviously this is all like way in the future, but what do you guys think about that as a concept? It, Go ahead, Spirit. I feel like I've been diving on these things too much. No, it's fine. Sometimes I just don't have things to say. Um, I think it's... I'm going to think of some words before I say them. I like the concept. Um, I think to some extent, like, obviously, the type of concerns I would have as a guild leader uh, would come down to the finesse details, right? Like, how many people could be in an alliance how random the the pairing would be. You know, am I going to still end up with the same alliances every week because we're roughly the same size to balance out other servers? Uh, so those are the kind of questions I would have, but um, the way it works now with the game... I, uh, okay, I see a lot of people still thinking about the idea of server communities and really upset about what mega servers have done to server communities, right? Because we're thrown in with people from every server when we go to any PvE zone. So I think Guild Wars is moving away from that, and that doesn't upset me at all. I'm actually really happy that Guild Wars is moving towards a more global community than a server-based one. I feel like that's a very strong and good thing for the game. But at the same time, we're left with these sort of server communities that are very strong and no less valid because we're moving Especially for people like our peers. And having a way for them. Yeah. Uh, so having a way for them to get together is very important. And having, you know, you can kind of kill a couple birds with one stone in allowing people from multiple guilds to get together and create an alliance. Uh, you get that kind of regular larger community than a guild, but it's more flexible. And then it also achieves maybe something that a lot of people complain about is guilds don't have enough influence. But if you move to a system where alliances are a major factor, then guilds are going to have a lot of influence in World v. World. Opt, go. Uh, yeah, I also think that I also think that you're... Your, your summary of what John Carpenter said is, is spot on. Like, I, re- I really like the idea, like, that you could, ha- you could have, like, this, granted, a big, like, core group of people that you're, that you're always playing World vs. World with, like, your alliance, and then you might be playing with other alliances against other alliances, and, like, some, you know, some one week, like, you might have an alliance that you're kind of friendly with, and, like, one, one week you're, 
you're fighting you're fighting with them and doing a great job and then the next week you're matched up against them and then like they're they're kicking your ass like it so- sounds like a cool dynamic yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I I think that would be really interesting if they could make that happen but you know as spirit said there are some difficulties with something like server identity um you know because these alliances would effectively be taking the place of subsets of server they'd be like subservers in the sense that you would always be with your alliance in things like world v world but your alliance would not necessarily comprise everyone that was in your server so I think it's a really cool idea, though. I, I mean, obviously, this would have to be really far out in their development timeline, because that would just be a complete paradigm shift for how they consider servers mm-hmm. and how they consider guilds and how they do world v. world. Uh, yeah, I mean, just all of those things. But I kind of like the idea of, you know, you'd be able to both maintain that sense that this is my commander that I like following around, because you could be in that commander's alliance, but at the same time, also meet new commanders, because... You know, maybe you're with the Holy Dragon Alliance one night, like one day, and maybe the next day you're with, you know, I don't know, Knights of the Blood Oath. Uh, Opt probably knows what I'm talking about. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what I was hoping you um, would say. Yeah, it's really cool. I really, I really like this discussion that's happening on the official forums, um, and I and I really like that the devs are at least giving thought to it. Yeah, this is like I'd love to hear more stuff like this from them, like just what their ideas are. Like, you know, not worry about this, oh, we can't talk about what's currently in development yeah. thing. Like, I just want to know what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, open dialogues are really interesting because, you know, they're not making promises, but you get to see both how they envision the game and also just the kinds of, you know, dreams or ideas that they think are worthwhile or doable or, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's really interesting. So I'd highly recommend anybody to follow the link and, you know, read up on it themselves, maybe form some opinions, give us some emails, all that kind of jazz. So anyway, I thought that was just sort of an interesting, interesting little tidbit that sort of came up on the subreddit today. But speaking of guilds, uh, I think it's time for a spirit rant on the guild CDI. Okay, so I'm a little bit uh, more removed from this than when I wrote it, so I will try to be as angry <laughs> in spirit as I was at the time. It's uh, in spirit, I get it. I have so many spirit puns, you guys. Anyway, um, so I've been talking about on the show how the, the guild CDI is going on, and this is something very near and dear to my heart as someone who's very involved in the community, very involved in my guild and a number of other guilds. Uh, so I went and I, they were looking at quality of life changes, and I kind of went into the thread, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to be here. And I started reading things, and I just kind of started rubbing my temples and <laughs> descended into a state of annoyance with the community, which isn't, doesn't happen often. But I noticed a lot of things that I hadn't noticed in previous CDIs, maybe because I wasn't invested as invested in previous CDIs, um, because those weren't you know my topic of choice. But a lot of people asking for things uh, not to benefit the community at large, but based on their personal experiences and things that had hindered them. Like, for example, there was uh, a number of posts saying things like, we should only have one guild leader because uh, it came and bit us in the ass when we had multiple guild leaders for whatever reason. I don't remember what it was. But on the other hand, there are guilds like Relics and Twit, uh, to name a couple off the top of my head that really, really benefit from having multiple leaders. So the spirit, again, those spirit puns, the spirit of the CDI was, uh, I think, dampened because it was a lot of people speaking on their personal... And it's not that people shouldn't speak on their personal feelings. I think that was a misphrasing. But you can't take your personal experience and ask them to tailor the game to what you feel it should be, especially in a system such as guilds where it needs to be flexible so that the most amount of people can use it, right? So there, like, I really don't want to see stuff about limiting options or, you know, limiting guild leaders, limiting permissions when they're completely optional, you you opt to give powers to the co-leaders or to to access the guild bank or whatever. That was another complaint is that uh, guild banks were too vulnerable. Yeah. 
I don't know. No, they're not. No. It just it really frustrated me seeing stuff like it's that. Ba- and then basically, another thing was the crux of their argument is that they want to remove options because they lack the ability to like make wise judgments and they don't want to be held liable or held accountable for their poor judgment. And like that's that's just right, a terrible exactly. argument. The tools are in place and if you use them unwisely, that is 100% on you because it's not a case where, you know, you thought it meant one thing and you clicked it and it was unclear and, you know, you accidentally mystic forged your precursor or something. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's one thing where it's not clear or it's not intended or it's a mechanic that clearly seems like it's not working as it should. The mechanics of the guilds are working exactly as they should. They let you create a guild with the rules and structure that you want and you can do anything. There is only one guild leader. It's the person who makes the guild. And then they get to decide if there are more than one guild leader. And if you choose poorly, like, you can yeah. always do things by choosing poorly, no matter how tightly controlled some of these things are. Yeah. Right. Uh, the other thing I just saw was people pulling the thread off topic. Uh Chris White said had had specifically laid out okay we're going to talk about logistics and quality of life and then we're going to talk about guild halls and I got extremely frustrated with the amount of people who would pop in and say things like idea guild halls details guild halls possible risks might take six months to develop guild halls that <laughs> that was not verbatim but almost an actual post yeah the actual post said possible risks guild halls yeah it just uh, that really frustrated me I. I think the CDI is such a powerful tool, and I don't want to see people in the community uh, going out there and ruining it for others by... Do you want to lose CDIs? Because that's how you lose CDIs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I have not checked in. Uh, I, I admit, I was really looking forward to this, and I had some great ideas going into it, and then I just didn't go back, because... That's not the kind of conversation. And it's not the kind of conversation that Chris Whiteside wants to participate in either. Like he got very um, snap snippy with some people, and justifiably so, I think. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I also remember um, the Dungeon Fractals CDI. I think there was one for those, and like, or there was one specifically for Fractals. And I remember like tons of people were just like bashing the Dredge Fractal because it hadn't been revamped at the time. And he, and on like page three of the, or five of the thread, Chris White said posted a, like, paraphrasing, but his post essentially said, yeah, we know. Yeah. Stop talking. Yeah, we get it. You saying it 10,000 times doesn't make us realize it any harder. Mm hmm. And they probably, to be honest, they probably knew before yeah. they even made the thread. It's, it's always difficult on there. these things to find the right balance because on the one hand, you have to know that they know a lot of the problems within their own game. Obviously not all of them, because as we can see, the new player experience. But, you know, you you have to know that they're aware of these frustrations that we have, so bombarding them in a deluge of comments that you know that they already know is counterproductive. You're not really, like, telling them anything new. You're just sort of hammering them over and over again with something that they already know. And most of the time, that's just sort of counterproductive. But... There is a balance to be struck because if it's important, it needs to be it needs like the the new player experience was probably really rough for them, but I feel like they really needed to hear how we felt as a community that we pretty much universally were frustrated by these changes and were very frustrated by the communication that we've received. So there's always a delicate balance of, you know, you should always provide constructive feedback. But the hard point is in knowing when your feedback truly has been heard versus, you know, when it needs when you need to throw your voice in the ring. Um, and there's no real good answer to that, but sometimes the CDIs go too far. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's do a little mini guild CDI here because you guys are both guild leaders and I don't have to talk for this because I'm not. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I guess I can start. Um... Do you guys know about 100% rep? Yes. yes. But why don't we talk about it just in case anybody doesn't? Because most of our listeners are probably in reasonable <laughs> guilds. So, um, so 100% rep is like is something you'll see in guild like in guild recruitment and map chat a lot. It basically it means that a it's a it's a guild that's recruiting and it's typically a large guild 
where they have a policy where if you're online and you're representing a different guild, they will kick you. You can only represent their guild or else. And I like as somebody who represents a, or who leads who co-leads a guild where people can people can do whatever they want. They can represent us like all the time or never, and you know, and you know, or just show up for guild missions, uh, whatever they want to do. Totally fine by me. So that. So the concept of a guild that says, oh, you have to represent us or we're going to kick you. Like, that's always really, it's always really offended me that people do that and that it, and that it works. Like the game, the game kind of incentivizes it because if you're in a, if you're in a big guild that does everything, like you, you have like, there are dungeon groups all the time. There's world versus world groups all the time, uh, PVP groups, what have you, then, and guild missions, like why, why wouldn't you be in just like the biggest guild that you could? Because... Because then you can just do you can do all the all the things that the game uh, makes available to you, but also makes it kind of hard to get access to without those kind of structures. Exactly, like the uh, see the influence grind for unlocking guild missions, which is not which uh, if uh, guild missions were released today, that probably wouldn't be as big a deal for a guild like Twit because now you know even though we have members on lots of different servers. Um, it's the global guild system is in place now, so all of our influence would be pooled together, and we probably would not have had a problem unlocking guild missions. But it took us—I want to say—it took us like nine months to unlock all of the guild missions. It took us long enough to gestate a baby. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, like we were—we were fortunate in that we, you know, I, I think we had to—we had to spend some money on influence, but we were able to get guild bounties at the beginning, and I think that helped us a lot. But. Uh, I remember especially the 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 influence grind between um, guild bounties and then guild treks, which don't really work that well, and nobody does. And guild rushes, that was excruciating because like we were just all like we were getting thirty people into TS or into in event at the time, and then doing the guild bounty, and it's just it just it just felt really anticlimactic that we just had like we got all these people together to do fifteen minutes of content, but now we have everything and. Uh, and doing guild missions is, is pretty fun. It's pretty, you know, we all we all basically just hang out for an hour and shoot the breeze on uh, on VoIP. It's a lot of fun, but uh, but not but smaller guilds don't have that privilege because they just can't build the. So you sort of started on a hundred percent rep guilds. Is like, what is? Yes. Because that's that's a really difficult topic because that sort of goes right back almost exactly to what Spirit was talking about in that. Uh, like how you can, it's really difficult to restrict something like that um explicitly and i feel like really the only reasonable way to do that because technically there's nothing wrong with saying if you're in our guild we want you to be an active participant and you know being online this many days or this many hours or whatever i mean some guilds want to do that and that's some people's jam but i think the real problem is that um a lot of the systems are, as we sort of alluded to, um, very reinforcing of that type of playstyle. So it's less of an option, and it more gives them weight to be able to do it because it makes them because they are more effective. Um, do you have any Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, because I don't think you can yeah. really outright ban it without getting really heavy handed and authoritarian on how people are allowed to run their guilds. Yeah, it's it certainly is a difficult problem. It's with the main problem is that you know because you're you know if you have a big guild and you can and you can say okay we have all these things available so we in order in order to represent us all the time and so it's it's kind of it kind of speaks to how like the way that representation works in Guild Wars Two seems kind of broken like when you're like if you're in five guilds you're representing one of them and you're just kind of like a dead weight on the other mm-hmm. four guild rosters that you're in. Because they don't have any, like, those those other guilds don't have any easy way of contacting you or sending you any information besides the message of the day, which nobody reads, and by uh, whispering you. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like I, like, I keep Twit's message of the day up to date, but, you know, people still ask me for information that's in there, like, all the time. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not their fault. It's just a system yeah. that doesn't really work. I feel that on a spiritual level. So, Continue. how... Spirit... <laughs> I'm just gonna make what as many you guys think would be the ramifications the of something like saying you give influence to all the guilds that you are a member of, whether or not you're representing, and the representing is strictly for um, 
I don't know, like priority into mega servers or whatever, or the chat. I mean, I know that the chat is sort of a separate frustration that you can't chat between multiple guilds conveniently at all. But if we assume that they can't or won't fix that, how would you feel that that would impact things if they just said influence that you earn goes to all of your guilds? Do you think that would help with the the 100% rep situation? No. To, uh, to me, influence is not a marker of your contribution to the guild. Like, if I want you to be a contributing member of the guild, I'm going to ask you to to be a part of the community, not just acquire currency for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, to me, an active guild member is somebody who's actively, maybe not actively participating in chat, but actively participating um in events organizing organizing events helping with events um helping guild members just interacting with the people in the guild yeah definitely like like that that's that's my problem like i i don't agree with the premises of the question because i think that the fact that representation and chat are t- and guild chat are tied together is the issue like if you're if you're repping one guild like you're you're opening one guild chat, but you're also closing four, up to four other guild chats. Right. Like, I, I think the way that that works is uh, is uh, is really unfortunate for the way the guild system works because it because it you know it makes it, it makes it really easy to justify these kinds of 100% rep uh, policies. Like the like the, yeah. the incentives uh, support it, and so I think in order in order to fix it, we need to change the way those incentives works, which means to me. Like, if you could see, you know, if they changed the chat system so that you could see all of your guild chats at once, like, if they were if they were different colors and they had different shortcuts, um, like, I think, I think 100% rep would disappear pretty quickly. Well, it would, would it? It would be, like, the opposite, because every guild you're in would be 100% rep, right? Unless you chose to turn the guild chat off? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's... My, I guess my point in phrasing the question that way was more to divide up the discussion into two subpoints because the the cost of guild influence is substantial and that in itself has killed many small guilds because it's not feasible to actually get to the guild content with a small number of people because it takes so long and right. part of that is mm-hmm. that you know uh, again like with Twit. We have hundreds of members, but most of them don't represent us. But if we got influence for them just being a part of Twit Guild, that component in itself would sort of go away. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess that's the question yeah. is, with these 100% rep guilds, you know, how much of it is because they're actually trying to build, like, a legit community, and how much of it is because they just want the benefits of having a lot of people to contribute to their resources. And I think it's probably a different answer for every guild. Um, I feel like if we... I mean, I feel if if you implemented both systems, you know, both influence goes everywhere and you can see all your guild chats, then that would pretty much eliminate 100% rep requirements, because, like Spirit said, you'd pretty much always be 100% repping all of your guilds. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That would, um, I have two points, I guess. That would address one of my concerns about small guilds, or actually just guilds in general. I've noticed a trend in this game where more than any other game, once inactivity starts to set in, it's this horrible domino effect, right? Because if there's a period of time where people are not communicating in guild chat or whatever, um, people just go up and rep other guilds, which of course is their right. Uh, I have no problem with that. But then it's hard to draw people back because despite resurgence in activity, everyone has kind of spread out to do other things. And it happens a lot more quickly in this game than any other that I've noticed. Uh, So I think to some extent that that is a reason for percent rep rules because it any period of inactivity yeah, and I think that's really hit a, a double hard. whammy both because of as we're talking about the communication issues the inability to see multiple guilds chat unless you are actively repping them which then cuts you off from your other potential four guilds and then coupled with the fact that it's a buy to play game and so people are more willing to take vacations in this game I feel because they don't have to make that sort of buying decision mm-hmm. of okay am I going to stop paying for this game now or you know, am I going to keep paying for this game and try and get my money's worth? That that decision process is gone in this game, and so smaller breaks 
I feel like are probably a lot more frequent in this game, and that just kicks off that domino effect, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Like I've like because like I've kind I've kind of run out of things to do since I don't want to grind gold for a precursor and work on my next legendary. So like I definitely feel like people people haven't been signing on as much, and you know I feel I feel bad about it, but I just I don't have that much to do. Yeah, even as uh, something you say in the show notes is that uh, leaders are responsible for driving engagement, but there's. Uh, I think I'll try and link this in the show notes. There was a really excellently written article on Tumblr about percentage rep rules. And one of the things uh, the author, I can't remember who it was. I'm sorry, I'll try and link it. Uh, But one of the things the author said is there's only so much a guild leader can do. We can't create content. We can only work within what is there. And now having a lot of it for both Twit and Relics, I think, I don't want to speak too heavily for Twit, but because uh, I am one of those people that is in their roster but doesn't rep as much, I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. Uh, we are composed of veteran players who have, you know, just kind of gradually completed everything. We're two years into the game. Not a whole lot has changed, especially if you took a break and you didn't play that content that only existed for a short time. There hasn't been a whole lot of additional content, and so we've kind of come to the end of a natural cycle of playing the game and there's only so much that we can do now to keep people engaged yeah with i was gonna speak to that, that too um also in the notes you know you said um that you know you, you'd like more guild activities for to keep people logging in and i think that that's partially true but spirit also outlined a major part of the problem is that you know yeah. we're we are sort of legitimately entering a life cycle in the game where a lot of us have you know, either have given up on the idea of getting a legendary or have, you know, one or two or three or five. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, that domino effect coupled with the, the lack of incentives to keep logging back in, especially in periods where we don't have something like the living story for, you know, a month and a half or two. Um, that's, that's, that's really hard, you know? Yeah. Like I, yeah, like as, as a guild leader, I can't motivate, past the fact that there just there just isn't like if you're you know if you're not into pvp or world versus world versus kind of evergreen like you know there's always you know there's always some some new guy with some new strategy that you can try and beat but in in the pve side of things like a lot of people have plateaued at this point Mm -hmm. i have a question for you opt uh in the show notes you put alliances frowny face can i ask what the frowny face is in reference to because i like the idea of alliances in this game um, so to me, in, uh, as a Guild Wars 1 player, the coolest thing about alliances was that, like, 10 guilds had a chat channel together. So it goes back, it goes back to my thoughts on, uh, on the fact that representation and chat are tied together. And if, if Guild Wars 2 had alliances, there could so be So effectively, it was, channel. it was a frowny face that we don't have them, not yes. that alliances okay, are I'm a frowny face, I think is the confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm totally on board with that. I agree. I think alliances serve um, also a purpose in that there are people that I definitely want to play with, but and want to be able to communicate with, but maybe don't want to adhere to their guild rules for whatever. Like, perhaps they're a 100% rep guild, and I really like all (laughs) of the people in that guild, but I don't want to rep 100%. Uh, So. I think alliances have a huge benefit in that you can have groups of players together who really enjoy each other's company but don't necessarily want yeah. to adhere it to the same rules. It effectively is a an additional layer of guild management, which is, you know, as great as the guild management controls are in this game, you can't have two sub-guilds, you know. Um, yeah. Right. I think that pretty much I think that pretty much rounds out our guild discussion, don't you guys think? Yeah. All right. Um, I feel like there's something else I wanted to talk about, but I guess maybe not. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to open up our mailbag real quick here. Hey, all. This is Shonku, a.k.a. Eric, calling in. Just to let people know that you can call into the show using our Relics of Ore widget on the relicsofore.com site and give us a video, an audio voicemail about uh, any questions or comments you have about the show. We'd love to get those from you guys, so please use that. You can use it on any computer, and you can also use it on any Flash-enabled mobile device. So we'd love to hear from you guys. 
Thank you, and awesome job on the show so far, guys. And that was a brief clip from our former show host, Eric, a.k.a. Shungaku, reminding us, as you just heard, that uh, we accept audio links, and that would be really neat if we could hear you guys' voices. But also, we love regular mail, too. So if you want to, uh, or, well, at least digital regular mail. (laughs) Uh, So if you want to leave us a note, comment, email, or whatever. We enjoy reading them, and we enjoy reading them out on the show. At some point, actually, I had this idea. Uh, Spirit linked me to some spam bots that we occasionally get, and I swear to God, some of them sound like haikus or poems. Yeah, so I think we might do like a spam bot haiku segment from time to time, because some of them are truly majestic, and... Uh, yeah, I guess let us know if you would uh, find that entertaining. At least, at the very least, it wouldn't take too much, uh, take too much effort. That sounds like it'd be its own podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it, you know, it might be difficult to generate content, though, because all of these are spam based on the fact that we're a Guild Wars 2 podcast and or blog, and so we get, like, targeted ones that have a lot of keywords in them. So you'd have to kind of produce content in order to get content. Yeah, I still get, I still get like weird spammy uh, word WordPress comments on my old yeah, uh, Guild Wars I do too sometimes. It's kind of funny, uh, but I think it's that magical time again for Castcast. Kate, take it away. Hello and welcome to Castcast, the podcast within the podcast, the cast about the cast of other podcasts, and the style of cast of other podcasts. This week on Castcast, I actually finished it because I wasn't completely bummed out. And we have a lovely video titled Rise of the Bearbow, which is a Guild Wars 2 machinima in the form of a horror movie trailer about bearbows. I'm really always a fan concept. of machinima, especially when it's entertainingly done. It's one of those things I never really follow, but when I see one, it usually usually makes me chuckle. It's not something I would usually follow, per se. I know some people are really into machinima, you know, effectively comics comic strips or whatever i mean i guess like red versus blue i did watch that a lot which is sort of technically a giant machinima series but uh we don't really see too much of that in guild wars i feel like no and the uh the end of the video he kind of makes a hashtag first person camera never or something reference uh i don't think the tools are really in guild wars 2 for good machinima but i'm still impressed when people manage to work around kind of the limitations of the camera to make excellent mission anyway. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of my problem with the, with like like the concept of the video, the first parts of the video, like really really great. Like I like I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. But then then they then they started breaking the fourth wall and like complaining like basically snarking on the developers. I thought that was kind of mean. And then at the very end, yeah, hashtag first person. Like for the first person camera you know that that was that was one of the you know we talked like I mentioned like the precursor stuff uh, a while ago, but you know there was that whole Guildmag interview, and one of the things in there was that they weren't working on first person releasing a first person camera. Holy crap! They said other things in that interview. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Sab. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Other than Sab. <laughs> but yeah, um, so you know, first first person camera. You know, there's. There's no way that they don't know that people want that and the reasons why they want it. And so I, I think that's another one. That's another example. Like things like that, like just just putting hashtag first person at the end of that video. Like, like it's like kind of it's kind of the fans shooting themselves in the foot and like hurting their position. Yeah. Just like telling Arena that things that they it's already true. Know. I mean, it. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like, it's kind of it's kind of beating a dead centaur. On, on top of just. On top of just some some jokes at the developers' expense yeah. that I just thought were mean rather than funny. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. So <laughs> that's their that's their thing. So uh, let's see what. Uh, oh, right, this is a, an actual sort of uh, interesting news announcement. Uh, just today, I believe we found out that Regina. Um, anybody know how to pronounce her last name properly? Is it Bonobra? Bonobra. I think it's Buenobra, Sorry, Regina. I still don't know how to pronounce your sure. last name properly. Um, has accepted a new position within ArenaNet as the head of content marketing, and she wrote a post on her personal blog, uh, sort of detailing, you know, what that meant, what that 
sort of implies um, how that's both similar and different from her current role. And the gist of it that I sort of read was that it seems like, in a lot of ways, it's sort of what she's been doing both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes for quite a while, but that she shifted a little bit away from the managing of the community and more towards the um, creating environments with which the community will interact, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, it seems like she's just sort of officially made that the focus of or ArenaNet has sort of made that the official focus of her job. So she's still there. She's still going to be participating in a lot of the things that, you know, I think most of us are familiar with her working on and all that but uh that's always cool you know it's exciting it's sounds like a more auspicious job title so hopefully she got a nice raise and or benefit increase or whatever so yeah one one phrase in particular that stuck out to me as somebody who also works in an office is she she said in the last paragraph because my new role is more of a strategic one like that that means that you know she's going to be more involved in the decision making process for this you know for this big business that makes this multi hundred million dollar game like that's right really, exactly that's really making awesome the decisions her. rather so, than enforcing them as it were so yeah um so that's yep. that's a cool little piece of news and um yeah this show's gone on plenty long so i don't think we really need to talk about our trade arcade segment so i guess it's time for opt to give some of his own personal uh information for places to check out things to see things to read okay so um i guess you can you can follow me on twitter i'm at mr mr underscore ex and if you want to get in touch with with twit guild we're great friends of relics of war anybody you know anybody who um is on twitter or not or is in relics or not you know welcome we'll 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 invite anybody we're we're just happy to invite anybody who asks um, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, and just to clarify, the Mr. in Mr. X's MR, not uh, spelled out. All right, mm-hmm. and we can play our little plug that I always forget that we have, so I don't actually have to say how to follow us anymore. Wait, I have a Wheel of Morality. Oh, Wheel of Morality! Turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we should learn, spirit. After a quick lunch and a brief nap back at the mobile home, we resumed fishing about 3 o'clock and fished all the way till dark. If you like antiques, you have to ask for help. We have many, but only the locals know where they hide. Be sure to vacuum floors, rugs, and upholstery your pet comes in contact with regularly. Magic the Gathering deck ideas, Relics of Our Commenter, 2014. Yeah, see? Those spam bots are really interesting. (laughs) I could listen to that all day. I love them. In that weird way, like you don't really like them, but you kind of can't help. Yeah. It'd be better if yeah. you left us alone, but at least you're entertaining while you're bothering us. Yeah, at least I laugh before I click on market spam. <laughs> exactly. Get that little chuckle and... <laughs> uh, no. So, uh, I'd like to say thank you, Opt, for joining us, and, you know, maybe we'll have you on again sometime. It's always uh, enjoying to, or entertaining to uh, speak with you, and always good to pick different people's brains on all of the matters Guild Wars 2 related. Well, thank you very much. I would, I would love to come back sometime. Alrighty, and yeah, with that, we are signing off, so we will talk to you guys in a week or whatever. That was another episode of Relics of War. If you'd like to get involved, you can find us on any social networking site such as Facebook, Twitter, Steam, and many more, just by looking up Relics of War. That's Relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com, or go to our website, relicsofor.com where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget. Just put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, Anexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, C-Squirrel Run, that's a C, and then Squirrel, and then Run, or Spiritface to get in contact with us or join the guild. Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. We appreciate that. We'll read them on the show. 